We've got some hey, fresh new I'm young Luis. talent. Hey, I'm Luis. I'm Luis. And you're listening to the Content before. is Profit podcast. Listen. We spent the last four years learning the strategies and techniques from some of the top marketers in the world on how to create content that turns into profit. If you'd like to learn more on how to turn that content into profit, go to contentisprofit.com. Yeah, yeah. Good save, good save, guys. Um, Today, advice from top CEO. And how to be comfortable with the uncomfortable. Ooh, I love this. I do love uh, it. Quick story. When I first started listening to podcasts, I remember Joe DeSena on his Spartan Up podcast saying this same thing. And I can't wait to dive into today's episode. But Francie, before that, do we have a sponsor today? Yes, we do indeed, oh. guys. And today's episode, it is your one and only, the Biz Bros, ourselves, oh, with Content yes. Momentum, guys. And you might be asking yourself, what is Content Momentum? Well, glad you asked. If you have a long-form piece of content, just like this podcast that we're recording right now, and you want to turn it into small little minions and send them all over the social media, right? We are here to help you. We want to create those value-packed, bite-sized assets just for you. So if you're interested, just send us a DM, and we are ready to help you out. Sweet. If you're listening right now, go ahead and subscribe. Go back, smash that subscribe button so you don't miss any of the episodes and Make sure to follow us on social media at BizBrosCo. That's right. And if you find this episode impactful, guys, which I am sure you will, please, please don't forget to share it and leave a five-star review. Thank you. Just five stars with Gucci. Mm -hmm. All right. So the power of content. That's right, my peeps. Today's guest is the result of an amazing relationship built by content. One of our previous guests, the SEO king himself, Damon Burton, introduced us to today's guest. We already, we already talked to him. And guys, he knows his stuff. So grab a pen and paper and get ready to take notes. Whoa, guys, that is right. Today's guest is the definition of entrepreneur. He has built and sold five businesses. Impressive. Woo. Warning for everybody out here. Please take your socks off because they are about to be blown away. Either way, <laughs> he has a company that provides holistic performance marketing services. That's my language right there. Epic. Epic. That's right. Also, one of the most impressive things we find about him, we find out about him was the fact that he's very comfortable with the uncomfortable. Hmm, uh, what an incredible paradox. Not only that, though, he was voted top 50 CEOs and even with through and all, he remains an active father and husband. Just impressive. That is impressive, guys. Please welcome host of Buybox Expert Podcast, founder of Buybox Experts, and someone you want to keep close to you, Mr. Joseph Hansen. <laughs> Welcome. Joe, thank you so much, wow. man. <laughs> you know, I just, I just subscribed right there. I just did it. Oh, did man. It thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> That's it. We can end the episode now. <laughs> <laughs> that's it that's the real the, the real deal joseph thank you so much for can we call you joe joseph how can we call you joe is great awesome man thank you thank you again for uh sharing your time with us and coming and, and drop some value bumps for those who don't know you like who who's joe like how do you start like this entrepreneurial game and uh and where are you now okay let's just jump right in so i guess this really starts back going to like my last year of college okay so 
Uh, and I, I had just, I'd gotten married the year before and my wife had just graduated. So she was kind of my sugar mama at the time. All right. And, and I'm finishing up college and, and I'm pre-med, right? My plan mm. has been, I'm going to be a doctor mm. and, and I, and I'm really excited. I want to be an orthopedic surgeon. This is something that's fascinated me for a long time. And then I have this, uh, professor, my like very last semester, I think it was my last semester, pretty sure. Mm. But anyways, he's fantastic. Brilliant individual. He's a physical therapist. It's this class called orthopedic impairments. This will bore you to death if I go into detail <laughs> about it, but it just like really engages me. And, and he's an entrepreneur as well. Not only is he a mm. professor, but he has like four or five physical therapy firm mm. offices, whatever you want to call them that he runs. And he just like, he engages me so much in his profession yeah. that I decide I'm not going to go to medical school. I'm going <laughs> to wow. be a physical therapist. And so I take the GRE instead of the MCAT and I'm starting mm. to change everything because all the prereqs are basically the same for those yeah. two things. <laughs> and then, and then like a, a couple weeks before I'm about to actually like go off, I read a book called the E-Myth mm. by Michael Gerber. Have I ever, have you read that book? Have you, I, have you heard of this book? I have not actually. I've heard of the book, never read it. So I am, okay, uh, okay. it's already in the notes, ready to go. <laughs> Amazon, you get ready for, to take okay, my credit so, card. So Michael Gerber, E-Myth. The E-Myth is not the like electronic myth. It's the entrepreneurial myth. Okay. Mm. See, it's this idea that we have. It's this myth that we think that most small businesses are started by entrepreneurs, but mm. most of them are started by a technician who's had his entrepreneurial seizure. As, as Michael calls it, okay? Uh. So like a shoe repairman starts a shoe repair shop, right? A doctor starts a medical practice, a programmer starts his own firm. But that's the reason, according to Michael Gerber, that most small businesses fail is because they're started by technicians who've had this entrepreneurial seizure. They don't understand the entrepreneurial side of it. They don't mm. understand the managerial side of it. All they understand is the technical side of it. Mm -hmm. And so they aren't able to actually build systems around their business. And they aren't able to put into place the processes that will actually help it grow, scale, be profitable and run. Yeah. They become very people dependent almost immediately when they start off their business. I read that book and Michael Gerber goes into a whole bunch of detail, like with some examples about like McDonald's being the franchise prototype model and other things like that. Because yeah. you can go to any McDonald's, you get the same thing. Yes. Right. And I read that book and I, I start having my entrepreneurial seizure. <laughs> And I'm like, I crap, I can't, I can't go off to medical school. I can't go off to physical therapy school. I can't do it. Like I'm going to spend somewhere between 200 to $400,000 just in like medical school debt, maybe mm. more. And then I'm going to end up like switching and going and being an entrepreneur someday. <laughs> and so I, I tell my wife about this and she's actually relieved. She's like, when you told me you wanted to be a doctor, I was like, oh crap, I'm never <laughs> going to see my husband again. So she's actually relieved. And we, we start a business. Um, we find another yeah. a couple that thinks a lot like us. I give them copies of Emith. They read it too. And we all get together. And after a couple months, we, we sit down and we have this like joint planning session where I tell all of them, I say, okay, let's all write down 10 business ideas and let's get together. So and we're cool. sitting there and we're going through all these ideas. And I'm like, oh my goodness, my like, guys, none of us have prior business experience because <laughs> some of these are like, it takes like $20 million, $50 million to start these. I'm like, guys, come on. Okay. Let's, let's just start like eliminating these, right? So anything yeah. that can't be done quickly or with like a little capital, let's just cross it off the list. And so like 90% of the list is gone, just like in two minutes. Oh. And so then we're down to like four ideas. 
And one of them is these aprons mm -hmm. that our business partner's um, wife had made a couple years prior for her mother-in-law. And so we took, we took a look at them and we looked at the pictures. And then my wife had a lot of design experience. Yeah. She had been a model before and, and she took these aprons and, and they, we contoured them so that they flattered a woman's figure instead of kind of, you know, overshadowing it, making her look like a big box. Yeah. And then made the waist ties really thick and long. And then Jamie and Heather, my wife, added like modern designs to it instead of some of these, these you know, 1970s style things that you typically see on most aprons. Yeah. And all of a sudden, this apron product became a fashion piece, wow. a little bit of a sexy fashion piece wow. for women, right? And we went out and then we're like, okay, now we need to test these. So we made like the first 10 of them ourselves and that was the worst experience of my life, pretty much. <laughs> I would never do that again. <laughs> And it gives me a very firm appreciation for anyone in Cut and Sew. Yes, Thank you. Yes. Thank you with all the deep gratitude of my heart. <laughs> Thank you for making the clothes that I wear today. Absolutely. Um, but we made that first 10 and we took them around and we did some focus group testing and people loved them. So then we found a factory here locally. And there was actually like out of, uh, it was just like 10 years prior, almost all the Cut and Sew factories in the U.S. basically kind of shut down, right? Because this is like, we're talking 2007, 2008 when we're doing this. And beginning of 2000, basically, all the manufacturers here in the U.S. were like, no, we're just getting totally underbid by China. So we're, we're all shutting down. Mm -hmm. And there's like only a couple of them left in like the western half of the United States. One of them is like 10 minutes from our house. It's pretty providential for us. So yeah. we go over there and we find some, some uh, clothing suppliers, uh, fabric suppliers, like Robert Kaufman, I think was one of them. This is like uh, 12, 14 years ago, guys. So give me a, a, a little bit of <laughs> We got you, man. Don't worry. <laughs> yes. And and we get these, we get a deal for these to be made. We take out um, some money from our own personal savings. And then we, uh, we hedge that against some small business loans that we obtained. We get a whole bunch of fabric in and we have these guys start producing product. Mm -hmm. And while they're doing that, we're then figuring out how we're going to market this product. And so we we originally yes. we we get some space in a, on a mall kiosk, and this is when retail is actually a little bit alive still, before it kind of tanks before e-commerce. <laughs> and we get them on these mannequins, put them in the mall, and the reaction from women is just kind of ecstatic. They walk by them and like their mouth kind of drops. They're just like they've never seen something like this before. Mm. They're just like wow. And we we hire a company. At, I think it was called Heritage Web Solutions. I don't think they exist anymore. And it was like an $850 website that we had created for us, which we thought was really expensive at the time. Yeah, I can't imagine. <laughs> and, we get our, and we think it takes forever because it takes like three months to get it up. And, and we get our product on it. We're like, wow, this is so expensive. It takes so long. Is this how it really is? Is this how it really works? <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, what I'm doing is um, at this very same time in parallel, I'm going out and I join what's called like the Small Business Development Center. Mm. I joined the Center for Economic Development in Orem, which is the city right next to it because we lived in Provo at the time. And we are like, I'm trying to learn from mentors. So mm. I'm like shadowing business experts in mm. general kind of business practices like People that are really good in accounting, people that are really good in management, administrative techniques. But then I'm starting to contact people that are good in retail and people that are really good in e-commerce at the time. Yeah. And so I'm mm. I'm starting to, to communicate with people that are really good in SEO, affiliate marketing, in 
conversion optimization, pay-per-click advertising. Wow. Uh, social was really nascent at the time. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I'll get into that in a second here, but like retail kind of exploded for us initially. Retail went really well for us. We started selling a lot of product there. People were just really ecstatic about it. The thing about retail is it's expensive. And like, <laughs> you, and then you have these like teenagers managing these mall kiosks and it's like herding cats trying to take care of them. <laughs> yes, I, I, I can relate. <laughs> I, I was in the fitness industry for a little bit and then it's a like, whoop, man. Well, a little bit like three years, but uh, I, I, I relate. Yes, <laughs> herding cats. And so we're, we're selling a lot, but we're not making a lot of money. Mm. Um, and our website is starting to kind of trickle up in sales as I'm starting to do my own kind of homemade SEO on it and, yeah. and conversion op and, and some other things and testing a little bit in, in pay-per-click advertising. And as I start to kind of learn more and more and more and more, it, it's like the, the student of biology that like doesn't even understand the basics. And then you, you start getting into the basics and then you learn very quickly, like how much you just don't know. <laughs> how much is beyond you to really become an expert in any of those things yeah and i'm like and i say to myself okay should i take the time to become a true expert in affiliate marketing or should i go find an expert in this because i'm basically going to be mm. either i need to devote myself to this or i'm going to become irrelevant my knowledge will become irrelevant within six months same thing with seo or pay-per-click advertising mm -hmm. and so i started going out and finding people to provide that service to us that had expertise. Yeah. Um, but we're in a startup mode, so I'm trying to haggle the cost, right? It's like, can I trade you aprons to do this for me? <laughs> yeah. And that's that's how I ran into Damon, by the way. Yeah, um, I was gonna ask him, like, that sounds like the perfect moment when you <laughs> and Damon met up, you know? Well, Damon actually went on our site and he bought some aprons because he'd gone to one of our mall kiosks, but then he couldn't find us when we had shut down that location. And he, he like can't find us easily. Finally, he finds our website and he comes to us and he, he sends us a little message like, do you need help with your SEO? Like, uh, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, but I get like a hundred of those a day now coming to our website. And I'm like, no, I don't need help with my SEO. <laughs> so then we, we just keep growing and we get to this point at the end of the first year where I have a a significant amount of expertise that I've gained both in retail and in e-commerce. And I'm looking at like our, our end of the year P&L for December. Yeah. Okay. Our profit and loss. I'm looking at it and we've, we've sold, these are rough figures, but it's like around $125,000, $150,000 in retail in December, which is, Hey, first year, come on. I mean, yeah. Great. Right. Made like $15,000. So about a 10% margin. And then I'm looking at our website. We sold $25,000 made $15,000 mm -hmm. and I'm like, okay, There's wait a, a second. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 15 here, 15 there. Hmm. Interesting. Where should I invest it be investing my time and resources? Right. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yes. So like the next month we, we find a really good web development firm called Capital Media based out of Washington. Mm -hmm. They did like the, the websites at the time for like, uh, what is it? Pike's place fish or whatever, like the, the market, the famous market up the there fish in Seattle. Up there, uh -huh. Yep. And, um, we, uh, we engage them. It's like $20,000 for a website. And we're like, Oh, crap. From, from, the, <laughs> from the 800 yeah. that we had before to $20,000. There we go. <laughs> and it takes like seven months to get our website up. And, and right? how many, on how many aprons? <laughs> <Did we? laughs> and a crazy amount. Of aprons. But from yeah. that website, 
like the ability to do SEO was dramatically increased. We had a lot of limitations from the other one. Right. This yeah. one was natively, the structure of it was more compliant with being SEO friendly. Yeah. And it had me- mechanisms built into it for being able to manage order flow. So when our order flow starts kicking up really high, you can integrate with systems that are, that are producing really well on an nice. operational component yeah. to, to get orders out the door. Um, it also fed directly into our QuickBooks management system right, for accounting. Yes. So like, I'm starting to think and incorporate all these things like, oh, it, it isn't just about selling more. It's about when I do sell more, we need to be able to account for it. We need to be able to process the orders efficiently. Yes. We need to be able to scale, right? And and then I also need to be able to incorporate marketing in as well. And it, it also uh, it worked much better with Google Analytics so we could see um, what terms were driving sales and what ads were driving sales much better for us. And we, we shifted our business almost entirely to the e-commerce Ooh, side wow. at that point, Beautiful. which was risky. Um, one thing that goes along with that is that we were selling in Bed Bath & Beyond at that point, regionally, wow. and we were talking to the national buyer and she came back to us and, oh, and I forgot to mention here, I have to take a step back. We started after our first production here in the US, we like we had aprons produced overseas almost immediately right after that. We found mm. a company here that would do that for us, had a small markup on it. Yeah. But our it cut our cost from like $18 down to like $6. Wow. So we wouldn't have been able to stay in business had we not done that. Yeah. So like we, we had to make that change right away. Yeah. So I'm talking to this this national buyer and she says, you know, I will consider getting your your product into national stores, but you're going to have to give us like a net 90. And and I'm I'm like, whoa, net 90? Like the biggest terms I've given anyone to date (laughs) at that point is net 30. Yeah. And she wants to buy them for like $7.50. Margin. Yeah. (laughs) At that point, I was just mad. Yeah. Right? Mm. Um, and, And she was pretty arrogant in her response to me. And so I was just like, you know what? No, thanks. No, thanks. I, I, I think we're done. And yeah. and so I just took everything we had and I just turned off retail at that point. I stopped supplying Bed and Bath mm. and Beyond. And we, and we put a plan in place to shut down our mall kiosks and shifted everything online. Wow. I said, that's what we have control of. Mm. We don't have to barter and feel like we're kind of like an indentured servant to all of these retail people yeah. to get space. I can control our destiny there. And it flourished and it took off. It did, it did amazing. That's um, awesome. So we, we built that business up, sold it off. And at the same time, a couple years into it, we started selling on Amazon. Mm. And we sold um, we sold to Amazon as a first-party vendor. Yeah. And we sold on the channel as a third-party reseller, or not reseller, but seller at the same time. And I experienced a lot of pain selling on Amazon. <laughs> Amazon would buy pro- like tons of product and be like, yes, this is awesome. And then like a couple weeks later, we'd be on the site and we'd see our product listed for $3 above what we had sold it to them for. And it would totally cannibalize all of the sales all that we were doing one. on our site Ooh. for weeks. And and then I saw people knocking off our product within a few weeks and yeah. I saw all sorts of things happening. And I and developed some systems to really be successful operating the channel, marketing on it, but then to control my brand on it. Yes. And so when I sold Flirty Aprons, and after uh, a year of, of working for the company that I, I sold it to, which is part of the, the sale agreement, which is a very young, long year of my life. So <laughs> keep that in mind. If you ever sell your business, if you have to work for the person you sell it to, 
it may be a very, very long year for you. Wow. Because <laughs> you're, you're an entrepreneur. You're yes. used to being yeah. the, the person, right? Yeah, I mean, you, you move it. from being the entrepreneur to an employee probably, right? Oh, it's brutal. Yeah. It's brutal. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and it, but it's also like, it, it's invaluable in some ways. You see that person doing some things right, but making a lot of critical mistakes culturally within their company. And like, they mm. just can't even see it. Right. And you're trying to give them advice and they're feeling threatened. Yes. Because obviously they saw something valuable in your business and you, or they wouldn't have acquired it, but they feel threatened that you're even suggesting that they can make improvements to their business. Mm. And that makes you think to yourself, wow, how blind was I while I ran my business and how, how different do I need to be forward? Yeah. Right. Huh. And that's, that's where the beginning of this kind of being comfortable with being uncomfortable kind of comes in. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, after that one, after experiencing all this stuff with Amazon, I launched three more brand companies, um, a, a company called Lullabibs, a company called cool wall art, one called centric and with centric, we took a around a hundred thousand dollar investment and only sold product on Amazon reselling product. And we, we sold two, two to two and a half million dollars by the end of the year, a hundred thousand dollar investment beginning of the year. Beautiful. So I knew I had a really good system that worked well on Amazon. Yeah. Hmm. I sold off those three companies and I launched Buy Box Experts. Nice. So I had already had four exits here, right? Um, Buy Box Experts for me in 2013 was more of like a lifestyle business yeah. for a couple of years. Then in 2015, I meet my business partner, James Thompson. Well, who will be my business partner, James Thompson? He worked at Amazon. <laughs> does he, does he know it? Does he know it yet? Or is that a manifestation thought out there? <laughs> it was love at first. Like, no. <laughs> we're, at this, we're at this conference, this little conference up in Seattle called SCOE, which is, I call it little, but it's like the biggest Amazon conference at the time. Mm. There weren't very many other conferences for Amazon sellers. There's one called Channel Advisor Catalyst, but it's really like the show Yeah. You go there and all it does is advertise their services. That's it. Mm. It's really glamorous. It's cool, but it's really just advertising their services. Yeah. yeah. And James and I went to that together. Um, we first met at SCOE. Then we go to this catalyst and we're like, we could do better than this. <laughs> A little bit naively. And, and he just starts working on it. And then we go in together and we launch what's called the Prosper Show. Mm. And if you aren't familiar with the Prosper Show, Within three years, within two years, the Prosper Show became the largest Amazon conference in the U.S. Wow. Um, by year three, we had like 1,500 to 2,000 people attending at that show. What were you and doing that show how many times a year? One? Just one time a year. Wow. Amazing. Right? So we'd, we'd bring together, um, you know, uh, hundreds of these solution and, and software providers so people could see and meet them. But then we would bring together experts on stage. But our approach was it's not like the shows where you pay to play. Like you, you don't pay $5,000 and get on stage. No, you need to be a real expert. There needs to be half a dozen other people, only a half a dozen other people that could say what you would say on stage. Yeah. Yeah. And when you get up there, you have to declare a conflict of interest. You get up there and you have to say, I do this company, but I also have investments here, 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 and here. So mm. now listen to what I have to say. Now it's full transparency. Here we go. Yes. Beautiful. Exactly. Beautiful. And people loved it because they could see that and then they could listen to whatever content that they gave and yeah. derive whatever, whatever value they wanted to attribute to it. Of course. And so we sold that show off at the end of 2017. And two years before that though, like right after we launched Prosper Show, I invited James to be a partner in Buy Box Experts. So James came on board with me 
And we said, let's make a real business out of this. Instead of kind of this consulting practice lifestyle thing, let's, <laughs> let's build it into a real agency. Yeah. And in 2018, we acquired a company called the Cairn Company up in Seattle, which had a lot of what's called first-party expertise selling directly to Amazon. Yeah. 2019, we we merged with a company called Nozani here in Utah. And that, <laughs> that was a big complimentary merge for us. It built yeah. up our, our um, sales team. They had a big content team and a design team. They had a really large account management team. We had a really uh, big center of kind of expertise and excellence on our side. Yeah. You bring that together with like their youth and enthusiasm. And we had really good inbound marketing, but didn't have a good sales team. It just like all the pieces fit really wow. together. Beautiful. And then we acquired another one called Agility in, 2019, in 2020. And that was to really bring on programmatic marketing and advertising. And so now today, the Buy Box Experts company that I lead is the largest privately held Amazon digital agency that's out there. What we do is we provide, it's a little bit of a mouthful, but there's a reason for that. I say we provide holistic performance marketing services right, yeah. for brands. What does that mean? Holistic means like we capture it all. We're not just doing advertising. We're not just managing the channel for them or just doing consulting. We do it all. Like yeah. we look at the brand and we see what are all the problems unique to your brand? What are the critical issues that you face? And a critical issue to us isn't just like sales. Yeah. It's not just advertising. A critical issue is a question. It's it's how do I increase my sales given that I can't spend more on advertising? I don't have the budget for it, right? Yeah. It has to be solvable. A critical issue can't just be a statement. You have to turn it into a question so it can be solved. We, we identify what those critical issues are. And then we go after them and we tackle them. And we manage all of the core components of the business, all of the things that have to do with running an Amazon business, which is really complex, right? The yes. Amazon ecosystem is is pretty crazy. I mean, there's a reason we're not there. <laughs> <laughs> like, we're, yeah, we don't even want to dive but, in that side yet. <laughs> That's amazing. Wow. Wow. Just, I, just, mind blown. I feel, I feel like but, I've been on Oprah for like the last half an hour. Hey, no, that, I love it. I love okay. it. Yeah. I, was, I was about to say, this has been probably the easiest interview that we've ever had to have. <laughs> it's just like one question and then Joseph just like, bam. And it's, it's uh, incredible because, you know, through your story, you you leave this track of amazing lessons. You know, the first yeah. one is, you know, from the very beginning, uh, pivoting really quickly on like, oh my God, I identify the way that I think and the way that I act into my entrepreneurship journey. Journey, And then you brought people together immediately for a brainstorm. It's, it's not yes. everything about me, me, me. It's like, hey, let's all together work something out. And you found a solution to a problem that was out there and created this unique product, which was, you know, I mean, Fleury Aprons, uh, I'm sure Katie, my wife, if she listens, uh, she will, <laughs> she would have bought, she that, yeah. bought that for sure. Uh, and, and, and it's incredible because after that, you, you mentioned that you're joining amazing communities and learning from experts and you're like, yep. and you know, we've preached that from the very beginning of this show with, uh, with a platform that allows us to, to share our thoughts with our amazing guests, just like you are, right? And you're like, wow, we're learning together. And there might be s some stuff like all the nuggets that you just like literally dumped on us. And we're like, wow, those are amazing things that we can, you know, take and apply and execute to take the business to the next level. Uh, so first of all, thank you so much for sharing all that. And uh, yeah. th thank you, number two, to make this interview so easy. And uh, <laughs> thank you, number three, because the audience is probably getting a ton of value. And thank you, Fonsi, for putting that in the intro to take their pen and paper, because absolutely, absolutely. that's exactly you what know, they this need. This is what I'm doing right now. <laughs> I got pen and, pen and paper right here, and I'm taking notes. You know, like, it's 
amazing for me the fact that th there's so many questions I have, first of all, right? And I'm going to start with a, a few simple ones. The first point that really caught my attention was the fact that you didn't decide to do it alone, that you partner up with your wife and another couple and you guys decided to go for it. So I guess my first question would be, where do you think you would be if you would go at it alone by yourself? And why? Why was it that you decide to partner up with other people to do it? I would never be where I am today if I'd gone it alone. Mm. Not even close, right? Would, would I have failed? Meaning like the ultimate failure, would I have gone bankrupt? I don't know. Probably not. Yeah. Um, would I have had the success I have today? Definitely not. A hundred percent? No. Yeah. Yeah. The interaction of having partners that you work with, I think what that does is it it, it molds you and, and and teaches you to become an effective leader. I didn't start out being an effective leader at all. Yeah. I was I was a a clever individual and I needed to become an effective leader. And it's taken me years to become that. Um, there's there's a number of books that we we have people read at, at Buy Box Experts now when they join our company. The very first book I have them read is one called uh, Mindset by Carol Dweck. Mm. And it's the culmination of like 30 years of her research at Stanford about having a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset, right? Yep. People Amazing with a growth book. mindset yes. view challenges as learning opportunities. And they don't care about looking like something is easy for them to do. In fact, they want something that challenges them and it in increases their ability. It's, yes. it's, it's, it's kind of like they value mastery over doing something with ease. Yeah, and, and there's even there's a lot more to it. You both are, are nodding. It sounds like you're familiar with this. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I consume books on the form of audiobooks, and uh, that has gone twice through my head as yeah. as we run. So, like, we we totally agree because yeah. in this in this growth mode that we we are right now, that's exactly what we're experiencing with the team members that have been coming on, and it's it's really cool because. You know, our mind tends to think, hey, let me make it easy, right? And and then repetitive. And it's like people tend to react a lot better when there's a challenge and they overcome that challenge. And and then we've been talking lately about how can we gamify the experience, not only internally in our company, but also for the clients and for the people that we that we help with different aspects of, of the elements that we help them with. So uh, that's why we're not. We're like, yeah, yeah. we continue. Uh, we, yeah, no, but, I mean, like two bubble heads. Anything growth mindset. <laughs> yeah, we definitely love to talk about, you know, and... But just going off the growth mindset, you know, I think is the fact that I'm surprised. Again, you wanted to be go to med school, then PT, and and you were like, no, I don't want that depth, right? But then you went and went in depth to <laughs> just to, as much too. to, to yeah. fund the business. But this is my question, right? Because that is that is something that we came across not too long ago that it, me personally was a, a game changer right i always thought that was debt and that's it right but i never thought of debt to, as a leverage tool to you know create more cash flow make more money to build a business so i my next question was gonna be right like what is the, the type of mindset you need to have <laughs> to go into that right because again the Obviously, it was a decision between all four partners. All of you were like, let's do this. But did you know, what was your thought process towards let's get into debt to build these businesses instead of let me get into debt to go into a career? Well, I mean, this goes back to 
like my my transition to becoming an entrepreneur mm. right it's uh, i don't know why and i don't like blame my dad for it in any way my dad is an amazing individual but he never even talked about the idea of like creating a business growing up right yeah. it just was to him it was you you go get an education and then you go into a career path yeah. and so that was just the innate understanding that i had but i didn't operate that way that's the thing like i was the one who always kind of challenged teachers in the classroom even though i was a respectful student i i didn't get along with them well because unless they unless i had respect for them but when they showed disrespect for students and tried to act like an author, an authoritarian in some way yeah. like they they were expecting the student to be respectful but they were disrespectful they lost all my respect mm. um and i couldn't articulate what that want what what it was at the time but i mean nowadays i just say that's just failed leadership mm -hmm. it's failed leadership right mm -hmm. there yeah. you're demanding from your subordinates what you aren't willing to supply to them right wow. the leader needs to show greater respect than his subordinates even show to him uh, otherwise they'll never learn how yeah. to display respect and so that was one thing but then like when i would work in the summers in between my semesters at college uh, and and during high school I didn't realize that I was oper operating with like an entrepreneurial mindset until I read the E-Myth. I'll give you a couple examples. One of them, I was working at MCI. They had this big call center in Colorado Springs. I grew up in Colorado. Yeah. And and I would t I was a telemarketer during the summer and it's it's difficult. <laughs> it's really difficult. Like I I got good at it. Uh, you know, I I gained the skill of being able to sell people yeah. so much so that I almost felt I almost felt sleazy. I never <laughs> operated unethically as a telemarketer, but I got good enough at it that I felt like I could yeah. sell someone something that wasn't better than what they had. Yeah. And I didn't like that. Yeah. Um, but it was so bad that I would dream at night that I was telemarketing. And then I would go in the next day having felt like I already worked an eight hour shift. Wow. And have to do it. Oh. That's crazy. Time. How was the dream? Was the dream like a, a phone chasing you and you're like, no. No, it was like, it was realistic. It's like I was sitting down, oh, no. on the headset, I'm, the thing is dialing automatically and I'm talking to people and they're saying no to me all, like the entire night. Wow. And I wake up and I'm like, oh, it's a hard day. Oh, crap. Yeah, you're like, oh, no, it was just a dream. Oh, now we just have to start that over again. Wow. How dude, scary that, is that? This yeah. Is just, this is like the catharsis. This is the PTSD coming out right now on this show. Yeah, we're still, we're still, we're all sweating here through through the screen. Dude, you, you, like, I, I see the pattern on like the uncomfortable situations, and you know we've mentioned this on the show before. It's like putting yourself in this situation between you know a sword and the wall, where you have to like actually execute, right? And that's a very uncomfortable situation with for us and our personal growth. Uh, Caused a big shift in the thing how we approach the business and how we approach the relationships now. So. Is this something that you were kind of doing it on purpose or? Well, well, let me go back here. Let me, I, I, I totally went on a tangent with the, the, the call center because it's so traumatic. Yeah. <laughs> but, so, so I'm there and I'm, and I'm, I'm doing this, uh, I, I'm doing it ha halfway through the summer. I get this idea like, you know, these guys, I think they're compensating us in a way that doesn't produce the results mm -hmm. that they should. Mm -hmm. So I go to the center director and I'm like, look, you compensate people on the total lines that they've sold. Lines is kind of their vernacular for like a yes. sale. Yes. Okay. So the total lines you sell in a pay period, roughly two weeks, um, that's what you get compensated on. You get, you also get paid per hour, but your commission is based your commission, on that. Yeah. And I go to him and I'm like, 
the problem is that you have unintended consequences from this. You have people that are just cherry picking data. They're, they're going through calls really quick to try to find interested people, which is like giving you basically dirty data because yeah. you recycle it. Yep. Yep. Um, and you have people just working lots of hours to hit their goal. Mm. When what you really want is people to try hard and to become better salespeople. So that way you utilize your data better and you convert better. Right. And I, I, I'm giving him this explanation and then I'm telling him, look, I think if you, you make your compensation based upon total lines, cause you still need that and lines per hour mm. and give people more, if they hit a lines per hour goal, then the center will sell more. And if the center hits its goal, you guys have already told us way back when that there'll be a lot more money to distribute to people. And he looks at me and he goes, who are you? <laughs> and I'm like, whatever, man, here you go. I typed it up and I handed it over to him. Oh, and wow. a couple weeks later, lo and behold, there's this big meeting with <laughs> balloons and glamour and glitz everywhere. And we go into this room and they roll out a new compensation plan. Wow. And it's based on lines per hour. Oh. And hey, look, look, I don't care. They didn't give me any credit for it, but I don't care. What I cared about was that they used my idea. Yeah. Because within a month, the center hit plan, which it hadn't hit in like five years. Whoa. So to do that, it would have had to increase sales 10 to 15% across 1,500 employees. Mm. And, and I didn't actually think that much of it. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Until I read the E-Myth and I'm like, I'm an entrepreneur. Mm. I don't have to be the, the inventor who creates the light bulb yeah. or yeah. the thigh master or whatever you want. <laughs> whatever. Like, an entrepreneur can be someone who innovates on systems, who innovates mm. on sales methods. It doesn't, I don't have to go be remarkably creative at like um, artistry or drawing or engineering. I can simply look at something and improve it. And that's part of the entrepreneur, entrepreneurial spirit. So that to me, like demonstrated, I could build a business and I didn't have to do something groundbreaking, like make an iPhone. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. That's there's, awesome. There's so, so much more. <laughs> yeah, we're like, oh, part two coming is, soon. And uh, I, lo yeah, I love that story. Okay. I love Got that telemarketing story. Wow. Yes, it's uh, it's highlighted in our notes. Uh, and we're gonna, I'm sure we're gonna go revisit this episode because just the just the start of it. A lot of people, this can crush a ton of beliefs around this topic for people to actually go out, execute, and and be very successful. So, thank you for that. Um, now we gotta start like. Laying down the final questions here. I I, I think just, we might need to do a part two one day. All right, putting just, it out just, there. Just, it's just okay. throwing this out there. It's okay. <laughs> We're, we can put it six months ahead. That's fine. It could be twenty twenty one. That's totally fine. You know, we might need to devote that part two to like entirely talking about being comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yes, because that's really I, I, important. Absolutely, absolutely, totally, totally. When we embrace that, that's when we start seeing a lot of growth. And, uh, you know, for us, it translates on, uh, on many ways, but the show is one of them, right? A lot of people. I'll give you a teaser. I'll give you a teaser. Let's do oh, it. Let's, let's do, do it. it. Okay. Okay. So I'm, I, this goes back to flirty aprons. Okay. I've yes. read this book called crucial confrontations. Mm -hmm. There's also one called crucial Converse conversations. It's by this company called vital smarts. Yeah. And I read it and I realized I'm not really good at holding people accountable. I thought I was a skilled communicator, but I was average. Like when I read the book, I actually realize I'm just average. I thought mm -hmm. I was good. Nope, mm -hmm. just average. Because 
at that time, I wasn't that comfortable being uncomfortable. When I tried to hold someone accountable, I typically sugarcoated something. Yeah. If someone did, if one of my employees did something that they weren't supposed to, I'd say, why did you do that? They tell me and I'd say, okay, don't do that. That's all right, but don't do that again. Mm. Which really, is that all right? Is it okay that they broke something? No, I'm giving them it's a not, conflicting signal, yeah, aren't yeah. I? Mm, not totally. actually holding them accountable. So I, I have this like internal reflection, this period of like shame. Okay, I'm gonna improve myself, I'm gonna change. I, I have a friend of mine who um, was interning with us for the summer, just like being an assistant for me for the company. And he shows up late, like probably like half an hour, 45 minutes late. And I say, why are you late? And he, he gives me an excuse. And I'm like, that really isn't an excuse. That's an explanation, but that doesn't excuse you. That wasn't like you're, you got a flat tire. Yeah. I'm like, that, that's not appropriate. You can't be late anymore. And I didn't say that's okay. Don't yeah. do it. I said, I said, that's not okay. You can't do that anymore. And he had this look on his face, just like, it's just so deflating, like, oh, like, like everything in him sunk <laughs> to the bottom of his stomach. And I'm like trying to not reflexively <laughs> sugarcoat it. I'm like, don't say anything, don't it's say about anything. about to come out of the mouth and I know, who breathe in. I take a deep breath. And then finally he's like, you're, you're right, you're right. And then later on, like a, a couple of days later, he says, that conversation was hard. That really sucked. He's like, but thank you. Wow. That's exactly what I needed to hear. He's like, I didn't want to hear that, but thank you for saying that. Thank you for not sure. And I think he used the phrase sugarcoating that. Mm. Mm. That was the beginning of me becoming comfortable with being uncomfortable. Oh, beautiful. Wow. Wow. We're actually going to leave it like that because I'm sure we'll have you for part two for, in Content Prof and we're going to dive in. I'm actually like, yeah. put it here, like this is the beginning of the episode number two. I'm just saying we need to have like an episode where we break down this conversation because there yeah. are so oh, many man. good topics that that you mentioned that we didn't get to dive in. <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to mention a few right here, you know. All right, so we went on debt versus debt to make money, right? Then we talked about joining organizations and having mentors. That is extremely important. And I oh, man. I admire the fact that you actually went, not, not only talked to them, but you went there and experienced what they were doing. I think that is absolutely amazing. You talked about becoming versus finding, right? Leveraging other people's talents. I think that is so important, especially in this day of age where we live in the info product, you know, section where everybody wants to learn how to do everything. Me, guilty, I raise my hand. Uh, you know, we talk about yep, in investing yep, yep. time and resources. And I found super interesting that you are such a rational human being from before your experience, right? That you were able to take a few steps back and look at everything and say, okay, this is where I need to I'd put my efforts. Yep, uh, yep. I find that super, super interesting. We also have building a business through acquisitions. I, that blew my mind. Don't get me wrong. Because <laughs> I was like, we need to build it all. Let's do this. Uh, and now you're like, you know what? I just went and find the pieces that were already working. And you bought it. I was like, oh, what? So yeah, uh, we need to talk about yeah, this. Yeah, breakdown episode. <laughs> Audience, if you're listening right now, send us a DM. Please communicate with us. What do you want us to dive yeah. in into? Uh, we're happy to answer any of those questions and dive deeper into that. And uh, Joseph, what's up? Uh, or Joe, Joe, we're, we're pals now. We're friends. So sorry. We're, we're you know, we're Spanish. So we're, Joseph we're, is great too. Yeah, okay. Mr. No Mr. Joseph. No, Mr. No. Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Joe. Uh, we're family now. You know, we're Hispanic. So, you know, after two minutes, we become family. Yeah. And um, so 
action points. What's a, what's something that on the if you, if if we have people that are starting on this entrepreneurial journey, right? If if they're trying to find what is their one thing, what's something really quick that they can do today to actually get that win and help them move forward? That is like such a broad question across yes. so many people. That's so tough. Okay. I will start with this. Do you want me I'll to say, specify a little bit better, a little bit more, or niche it ooh, down? If you can dial it in. That'll make it okay. much easier. Okay, so, uh, so we talk with a lot of content creators, content producers. They're already yes. selling stuff, right? And uh, and they want to, they're exploring different platforms, different ways of publishing, right? Is that is that is that okay? Yeah, I, I was. I, I was I gonna like you're say judging some, me. I was gonna say something different. No, I'm not judging okay. you. <laughs> I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. Hey, okay. I was gonna say something different, but uh, it's good. Uh, it's a good one. Uh, okay. Oh well, no, I sugarcoated it at the end. I said it's a good one. <laughs> Come on, man, make it uncomfortable. <laughs> I'll work on that, Joseph. I promise. Okay, so content creators and they're exploring different platforms how they're going to distribute their content, right? Yes. Okay. You know what? I'm actually going to talk a little bit about a different book here, very quickly. Love it. Yes. One called The Effective Executive. This is my all-time favorite business book. Mm-hmm. And I've read probably, this, is, this isn't something to be proud of, okay? This is not something to be proud of. It shows that I'm inefficient. But I, I've read probably like 150 different kind of business books over the last three or four years. Um, mm, wow. So this is my all-time favorite. And it's written by a man named Peter Drucker, um, probably one of the greatest business consultants of the 20th century. And one of the things that he talks about in there about people that are truly effective and an executive in his term is someone that uses knowledge for like the production of their business. Mm. So basically anyone today, almost anyone, unless you're like on a manufacturing line or doing something to truly just physical labor that doesn't require intellect, you are an, you're an executive in his mind. Okay. Okay. So this book applies to everyone you're talking about. Beautiful. So, he talks about focusing on, well, first of all, understanding where your time goes, using your time effectively, and then using your strengths, focusing on your strengths instead of your weaknesses. Get your weaknesses to par, then focus on your strengths, and then focus on the things that deliver the greatest contribution. For so, so for someone starting out like that, they need to think to themselves, like, what, what am I truly best at? Okay. And then how am I going to use my time to deliver the greatest contribution? Is it going out and trying to do this plethora of these different content networks, or is it focusing on one specifically? Is it that I'm a great, 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 great writer, but I would be better paired within an organization? Yeah. Mm. And, and what I really need to work on is finding a good startup where I can get some equity. So I'm still an entrepreneur. Mm. but I can focus on the technical side of my business. Like you need, like you, you need to start with that sort of native understanding. If, if you're at that level, if, if you're not already in business as an entrepreneur and you're trying to figure your way out, you need to figure yourself out Yes. and understand where you can make the greatest contribution based upon your personality, based upon your drive, based upon your skills. Beautiful. Love wow. It. Thank you. That's yeah. Top boulder. Like, yeah, not golden nugget, golden boulder. Golden right, boulder. <laughs> that's it. New, new term. We're, we're, we're just making expressions here. I was like, wait, what? Top boulder? Like, what? What are you talking about? That's it. That's where my head goes. And so, uh, Joe, uh, where you know we we know that you you publish a ton. You have your own show. You you have the, the company that helps you guys. You've been always online. Where will you be if you never published? 
Ooh. Uh, we would be one of the, I wouldn't be on your show. Definitely. <laughs> um, like, no, seriously, like we would have maybe like a fifth of the clientele we have today. Mm. The, the content that we produce is key to a lot of the inbound marketing that's helped grow our business and to the thought leadership that's given us kind of enough social proof that people want to work with us, mm. which then engages not only we call them brand partners, but you most of the people probably call them clientele, right? Yeah. Not only does it give us the the uh, authority that we need to have credibility for clientele, but it also introduces us and gives us the, the thought leadership to be relevant, to have conversations with people in our industry and outside of our industry to collaborate, to grow. Like Otherwise, we would be just one of these little small firms that's trying to become a big boy and doesn't get anywhere. So like mm. content has been one of the key factors of that. Amazing. Well, thank, wow. thank you so much yeah. for sharing that. Thanks. Uh, we often mention that we do that question for us so we can keep going with the show <laughs> and everything that we do. And uh, we, we truly believe that content is profit and profit can mean many things. And wow, what an amazing uh, show, man. Thank you so much, Joe, for sharing your story. Where can people find you? Where can people connect with you, with your company, if they're interested to get to know you guys a little bit better? If they want to connect with our company, they can go to buyboxexperts.com, B-U-Y box, experts.com. Um, there's contact forms on there. They can send an email to info at buyboxexperts.com. You can connect with me on LinkedIn as well. I'm on LinkedIn. And uh, and if they really want to connect with me as well, they can go to Damon and get services with him, and then he can introduce them to me. Just Be beautiful. Shameless plug for Damon. Oh, that's so nice. Absolutely. Man. And we had a great experience. He sent us his book. Amazing. Damon, thank you so much, obviously, yeah. and uh, for introducing us here, uh, Joe, and, and this SEO world as well, like that we have to... My mind is blown today. That, oh, that 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 golden boulder just <laughs> really hit cra crash on top of me. That was boulder. amazing. Hashtag golden boulder. Uh, editor, please drop it right here at the end of the episode. Uh, Joe, thank you. We'll say bye on the Facebook audience in just a second. But with that being said, thank you so much, guys, for tuning into the Content is Profit podcast. Go ahead and subscribe. Hit smash that subscribe button and follow us on social media at BizBrosCo. That's right. And if you find this episode impactful, which I am sure you did, don't forget to share it and and leave a five-star review thank you guys see ya